so good to see all of you today and to join in the wonderful celebration we've had. And uh, we're going to continue as we uh, dig a little deeper into our subject this present time. I want to talk to you about um, fear and fret, fearing and fretting. Now, I realize that um, it may sound like I'm talking down to you when I say what I'm about to say, because not everybody has my high level of taste in theater and entertainment. So if this illustration's over your head, just look it up afterwards. I want to refer you to the movie Nacho Libre. <laughs> and uh, there is, of course, if you've seen the movie, you know it's about um, uh, an orphan that has grown up in the monastery and he's wrestling undercover under a mask to raise money for the orphans and to give them better food and what have you. And um, his name's Nacho Libre. He has a partner named Stephen, goes from Stephen to Stefan, back and forth. Um, uh, also the skeleton, he has several names. But they get a chance to really earn a big purse if they can win. They know the names of these guys. They know that uh, they are known as Satan's cavemen. And I don't know the politically correct name, but they're about this tall. I mean, they're men, but they're about this tall. And they have hair growing everywhere. And you can hear them and smell them before they get into the ring. And um, they break every rule. It's supposed to be a tag team match, but they constantly cheat. They hit with chairs and anything they can find. They bite. They, it, it, it was just ugly. And Nacho Libre and his partner really get beat up pretty bad. I mean, those two little guys are slinging him everywhere. And thank you for praying for Terry, by the way. When, when we saw that movie, he said, I have seen this before. I said, the movie? He said, no, what those guys are doing. And uh, I said, where? He said, every time I go to your house, and Jeremy and Joey are waiting to attack you. He said, I have seen them jump you, knock the breath out of you, knock you down. And then I've seen a free-for-all where you just try to defend your honor and your manhood by, by bringing them under control. He said, I'm going to start calling them Satan's cavemen. So... The reason Satan's cavemen kept winning is because they kept cheating. And the way they were cheating is just they, were, they would gang up. You'd think maybe you could handle one, but two of them, it was tough. It was tough. And uh, it reminded me of a sermon that David Wilkerson preached that was a real life changer for me. This isn't his sermon. It's different. But it reminded me of the title of the sermon called The Devil's Twins. And I wrestled with, should I call it the devil's twins or Satan's cavemen? And I decided I better play it safe and go with fearing and fretting. But that's the way fearing and fretting work in this present time. Um, fearing and fretting are the enemy's attempt to twist the reality of our future so that we live, as you might guess, in fear or a sense of fretting. Now, fretting's not a word that we, it's a good King James word. And um, I grew up hearing the word fretting, but it was always about a baby. When a baby didn't know what it wanted, or a baby had colic, or a baby was teething, you know, the mama would say, just calm down, little one. Don't fret. Don't fret. Don't fret. And fretting, I understood to be, to, uh, be in a state of agitation or discomfort. And it can even make you do things that aren't smart. You try to get away from mama. You try, she's doing something that if you'll give it a minute, it'll help you. But fretting causes you to lose focus and you end up working against the one that loves you most. 
That can happen to us spiritually. Um, I, I want to say this. When we talk today about fear and fretting, there's no condemnation. We all wrestle with these twins. We all have times when we're ganged up, when we think we could handle this, or we could handle this, but not at the same time. And sometimes it just becomes the perfect storm of difficulty and trouble. Um, I do want to go ahead and tell you what I want you to do about it at the beginning instead of at the end. Um, we're going to read from two Psalms, and this is not a commercial or shameless commerce. It's nothing like that. It's just that we have a tool, um, and you can pick it up in the bookstore. It's $5, but if you don't have $5, that's fine. Just take one. It's, the $5 just helps us cover the cost. But I want everybody that wants one to get one. It's so important. It's, it's old. We've had it here for years. It's our journeys through the Psalms. And the reason I'm recommending this to you, um, I don't know how many we've got left, but uh, it, it just take it if you can't afford it. Um, you say, well, hey, who can't afford $5? Anybody who eats eggs can't afford $5. Uh, I, got a, I got a text today from my nephew and it said uh, something like, uh, I found a place where eggs are $1.99. And I thought, wow. And, uh, but then you read the rest of it, it said, but I'm not going to tell you where it is because I know what you people did with toilet paper. <laughs> so, But the books, Pick it up, whether you can pay for it or not. Pick it up. It's, um, uh, or if any of you watching online, if you'll contact us, we'll, we'll ship one to you. But when we talk about fretting and fearing, we want to do a couple of things. We want to, really, this is core. We want to identify fear. That's easy. Um, and we want to identify fretting. That's easy to describe. But we also want to talk about what causes them to rise up in us and then how we can deal with those things. It's part of our maturing process uh, as a Christian. And I believe the Psalms are so important <clears throat> for this reason. The Psalms cover every emotion almost imaginable. Somebody told me one time, they said, you told us to read five Psalms a day. Oh, and, and that's what this is if you're new to the church. It, it arranges the Psalms into 30-day readings, five Psalms a day. The 31st is Psalm 119 because it's a booger of a Psalm. It's long. Um, uh, but the way they're grouped, um, it kind of puts some themes together. But uh, it, it's real simple. Just on, like on February 1st, you'd read Psalm 1, Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121, just every 30th Psalm. And uh, <clears throat> the reason I have found it so, um, and I know it's an overworked uh, word, but it's really been life-changing for me. Uh, I was taught this back in college, and um, it, it was really life-changing for me because Every emotion that I think I've ever gone through, I can find it in the psalm. Somebody told me, they said, you know, I tried reading the five psalms a day. He said, but it's depressing. Those people in there, sometimes they're angry, sometimes they're mad, sometimes they're lustful, and it's not very encouraging. Why would you tell us to read that? I said, because every day we're either angry or lustful or discouraged. Or I said, you can't have a bad day and not find that day in the Psalms. And uh, if I'm having trouble with something, I want to read somebody that has had the same trouble and knows how to help me get through that trouble. So I, I want to ask you, and then we won't talk about it anymore. Uh, I want to ask you to consider uh, getting the book, and a lot of you already have it, and just give it a month of five Psalms a day. And I guarantee you, the more you can do it, the more the Psalms will rise up in your heart when you have difficulty and trouble, and it'll become your default mode of thinking. I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, um, 
a lot of us are concerned, and I understand, I, you know, we all are, we're concerned with being vindicated when we're misjudged or something said about us that's not true. We want to be vindicated. But I tell you what I found, the older I get and the more I'm in the Psalms, I find that the Psalms, I find myself seeing God vindicate himself. Not that he needs vindication, not that, not that he's got anything to give account for, you know, like we do, but times that I didn't understand, times that I didn't like, times that I thought that he was not being fair to me, um, the longer I live and the more I'm in Psalms, the more I'm able to say, he's vindicated himself. I thought it was this, but now I know it was this. Like, like Joseph, and we're going to get into the life of Joseph for a few weeks in, in about a three or four weeks or so. But um, <clears throat> Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He said, this is what I thought was happening. You know, here's a young man that in his late teens through his 20s, every dream he had was shattered. Maybe not the best years of your life, but certainly the strongest years of your life, he spent in prison. And not only did he spend them in prison, he didn't belong there. He said, this is the way I viewed it, but I found out this is the way it is. In fact, when he named his two sons, he said, um, my second son, uh, his name means fruitful and blessed. And I, I, God has blessed me in the house of my bondage. And that's an amazing thing if God can bless us in the house of our bondage. But then he said this, my first son, um, his, his name means to forget, to forget. And it's a real easy lesson. I don't think we're violating the context or the text itself to say that Joseph was, was describing his life in the names of his sons. He said, God has blessed me beyond my wildest dreams, but I had to forget the trouble. Now, that doesn't mean he wiped it out of his mind, but really that word can be used to lose memory of or to reevaluate. He said, I've had to look at what happened. I thought it was this, but it was that. That's the way you work through the Psalms. Okay, let's, let's read the text. Um, and the first uh, Psalm is about fret, and the second Psalm is about fear. Do, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, let's do it this way. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. He says, don't fret. Do this instead. Trust. Enjoy. Take delight. Commit your way. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And here he says it again. Do not fret. When people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Fretting occurs basically because people that are wicked seem to be getting along in life better than those that are righteous. In Psalm 73, Asaph, who was not just a guy in Israel, he was the worship leader for the king. Asaph said, I came to the conclusion because of the way everybody around me was getting what they wanted and I was not. I came to the conclusion that I have washed my hands for nothing. He was saying, I've, everything I've done, my prayers, my asking, my living right, it's not yielded anything for me. You, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? Most of us have. You say, well, I never have felt that way. Well, just be patient. This is, this is just the first day of the week, okay? 
But he said something, thankfully, a few verses later. He said, it's been for nothing. But Asaph said, but then I went back to the house of God and God opened my eyes to the reality. Okay. Um, so in verse seven, wait patiently. And then he says it again, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, don't cave into anger, turn from wrath. And then he says it a third time, do not fret. It leads only to evil. In our 21st century language, he was saying, don't get angry over the success of evil. Don't get, don't reach the boiling point because things that ought to be aren't happening. It may be personal things or it may be in government or it may be all around you. He says, don't fret, it only leads to evil. In other words, he says it will lead you to make decisions, it'll lead you to make um, conclusions that are not right and they'll hurt you. He says, you must remember for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. He says, there will be seasons. And loved ones, we need to know this. And I know a few things as frustrating as these seasons when everybody that you know that is prospering, getting what they want, seem to be evil, or you, you would never say this, but you think, I bet they don't read as many verses as I do. <laughs> We've all been there. Then let's go to Psalm 46, which talks about fear. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, because God is our refuge and strength and because he's always with us, therefore, we will not fear. Oh, now I thank God for David's honesty. Both of these are Psalms of David. And in one place he said, I will not fear. But then just a couple of verses later, he says, but when I am afraid... I will trust in you. He said, even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging, he said, remember that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It's the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations may be in an uproar. Kingdoms may fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on earth. Or in other words, the mighty things that we thought were unshakable that God has shaken. But they said he will make wars to cease. He will break the bow and shatter the spear. He will burn the shield with fire. And this is how we see that. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, loved ones, I'm, I'm going to try to really run through this. We've had such a good day and I don't want to ruin it by preaching till two. So I'm going to try to run through this, um, but it's all written down there so you can follow through with it. Whenever difficulties come into our lives, we, we tend, all of us, from the youngest Christian to the most mature saint, we have a tendency to gravitate to one of three probable responses. The first one is faith. Now, when trouble comes and we respond in faith, that's the response of hope. The Bible says that we live in an atmosphere called faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Paul said when all is said and done, these three things remain. There will always be faith. There will always be hope. There will always be love. We see it, and I know you've heard this a lot, but for the sake of our newer families, I want to repeat it. The three Hebrew children that were being thrown, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were threatened. They said, you will worship the king or you will be thrown into the fire. The king upped the ante and, and uh, heated it up to an unbelievable heat and said, 
look, I'm going to throw you into the fire unless you bow down to my image. And we see a response of faith, hope, and love. And when you respond with faith, let me say there are three dimensions of faith. There is faith as faith. You know, I know, I know, I know. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that God is able to do anything. God has everything under control. I know that. But then there is also um, the, the, the idea of hope. And hope says, um, and, they, and they overlap, they intertwine, intertwine. Hope says, I know God is this, and this is what I hope God will do. I expect him to do this. This is what I'm asking him to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not wavering. That's the family of faith. That's like three brothers, faith, hope, and love. There are some things in which I say, I know. I stake my life, my soul, my eternal destination. I, I know this is true. I know God cannot lie. I know God loves me. I know God is good and everything he does is good. I know the problem is always my perspective. It's never him losing his goodness. But there are also things where I hope he will do this for me. Or I hope he will solve this problem or heal this disease. It's, it's my hope. And hope is, we, we've talked about this, hope is not a weak word. It is in English. But in the Bible, it's not a weak word at all. It's, it says, we may not know how, we may not know when, but God is going to come through, okay? And then there is love. Love is a certainty. Love says, I know. And that's what the Hebrew children said. They said, look, we're, we're, we, we, we have discussed our answer to you. Number one, we have faith. We know that our God is able to deliver us. You couldn't touch us unless God allowed it. God is able to deliver. And they said, and he will deliver us. And that was a way of saying, that's what we're expecting. You know, some people say they meant, well, one way or another, he'll deliver us through death or whatever. I, I, think, it, I think it was reflective of their expectation. We know that God is able and we believe he will deliver us. But then they brought in the third brother, the one that is usually left out in the field like David when everybody else thinks they're going to be king, they said this, but if he doesn't, but if not. Um, that is the healthiest of all responses. And most of the Pentecostal charismatic world view that as weakening. I've got faith. Well, I hope so. Well, if he doesn't, no, it, it, is, it is a triad. It is a three-legged stool upon which our lives rest. God has all power. We know it. God can do anything. We expect it. But if he doesn't work the way I want him to work, I'm still going to trust him. It's the words of Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And there's nothing bad about faith, hope, and love. Now, we could also fall into the category of fretting. Fretting needs to be consistently or visibly worried or annoyed, to be eventually worn out or worn away, to be forced into action that's usually ill-advised. Um, when we're fretting, it, it's, just like, it's just like something nagging at you. It's like a fish underwater that keeps nibbling at your toes and you just can't get away from them. And um, uh, I know when I was baptizing people in the Jordan, folks, I say folks, a couple of folks told me they, they saw the Spirit come on me. And I said, when was that? And they talked, I said, that was, that was, I, that was not the Spirit, that was those little fish that were eating <laughs> away at me. But, but I do hope the Spirit was on me. And uh, the thing about fretting is, you can get so tired. You really can. You can get so tired of disappointment or so tired of not getting what you're requesting. And it doesn't mean that what you're requesting is bad or doesn't even necessarily mean God's not going to do it, but his timing doesn't usually line up with ours. 
and you get so weary from it that we end up making a decision that's not a good decision. It's not a good decision. Um, fear, if it's unchecked, can ultimately lead to helplessness and paralysis. Now let's go just a little bit deeper and then we're going to pray. Fretting, the word that's translated from the Hebrew, one of its meanings is to glow with anger, to become inflamed with passion. In other words, when you're fretting, it's not an irritation. Uh, it's not just a, I don't like that. It's something that ignites you. It's something that has just nibbled away at you so long. What began as an irritation is now I've had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. We see an example of this in 1 Samuel 25. David is on the run from Saul and he was in a wilderness area where a man named Nabal had his flocks and his herds. And it was a custom, you know, David sent uh, about 10 men from his uh, 600 men to request, hey, this is shearing time. It's a time of celebration. And one of the customs is that the owner of the flock would, would set aside some of the livestock and some of the grain and so forth and share it with the workers. That was part of their pay. And David said, uh, we are so thankful to have been allowed to stay here near your flocks. And it has been our privilege to help watch over the flocks. And David did it. They did that. Um, please, if I may. I mean, David was, David was almost stumbling over himself with courtesy. He said, if, if you would be willing, and if I may, I'd like to ask for um, my Lord Nabal to send some food and some refreshment to our men because of the work that we've done for you. Now, that was a common thing. Um, if you didn't want somebody around, you got your servants, you ran them off. But it was not uncommon for there to be, uh, you know, kind of like the, the old Western, have gun, will travel. You know, people would go around and the way they earned some of their food was to protect the flocks of someone that didn't have enough men to protect the flocks. It protected them from raiders. And Nabal just said, I don't owe you anything, David. Um, you're just another slave on the run. You're just another traitor to Saul. How do I even know that David really sent you? And he just, he just insulted them right down the line. They left and uh, told David what he said. And David, we, you've got to understand what David had been through. There was a highly emotional, highly charged series of events, the death of his mentor, um, um, some tough battles. David was worn down to a frazzle. And when they came back and gave David the report, he snapped. I mean, there's no other word for it. You, you can't even call it righteous anger. He just snapped. And he said, 200 you guard the stuff. The other 400, get your sword. We're going to Nabal's house and we're going to remove about 12 pounds of ugly fat from his neck. And Nabal's servants, they went to Abigail. Abigail was a very wise woman. Her name means source of joy. And um, while Nabal's name meant foolish or wicked or vile. And um, they said... Abigail, please do something. And they explained to her what happened. And the servant said, we're going to be dead by morning. You'll be dead. All of the family, the sir, everybody will be dead because of the response of Nabal. Now, Abigail put things in order. Boy, you're talking about a Proverbs 31 woman. She put things in order. She said, load up this on this donkey, load up this and this donkey. And she sent a feast, a caravan of feast to meet David. And it met David while he was coming in and she was with the gift and she bowed down low. And this is what she said. She said, my Lord, David, I am Mrs. Nabal. Nabal means fool. 
and my husband lives up to his name. She literally said that. She said he was literally, he was well-named. He, he is evil. He's abusive. And, and he, he has acted so irresponsibly. She asked for two things, or she took two approaches. She said, number one, none of the rest of us are guilty. Would you please show mercy? But this is the second thing she did. She recognized that God's future king had slipped from fatigue into fretting. And she said, we all know that you are going to be the next king of Israel. Even Jonathan, the son of the king, knows that he's not going to be the king. You're going to be the king, and he supports you. God's hand is upon you. That's why he's taken care of you. And my husband is indeed a fool. But if you come in, this is what she said, if you come in and kill him, and I'm sure you could do it, but at your coronation, there will be somebody from CNN <laughs> filming a bunch of protesters that are holding up signs that say, where is Nabal? Tell us about Nabal. We want the truth about Nabal. She, she made an appeal that served her not at all. She said, we, we want to live... But more importantly, if you allow this fretting that has come upon you to cause you to do something that you may be justified in doing, but David, is it the wise thing to do? This is going to haunt you the rest of your life. You see, the devil wants to get us into a spirit of fretting so that we will pay more attention to our emotions than we do the facts. And it can cause us to make a decision that we wouldn't make on a good day. And, and we all, oh, we've all made bad decisions. I mean, that, that's not what I'm talking about. We all did this when we should have done that. We all bought this when we should have bought that. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about to be under such a stress or strain. Maybe it's caused by someone else. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's, oh, it could be any one of a dozen things, but it just eats at you for so long. It's moved from discontent to fretting, and you're ready for something to happen, even if it's not a good thing. And we all can slip into that. And loveness, I just, I want to, to warn you. And um, being right about something is okay, but we need to learn that fretting wants us to be right about something the wrong way. Uh, Ephesians, or excuse me, Revelation 2, there was the church at Ephesus. And as Jesus was commending them, he said, I understand you put people who teach to the test to be sure they're telling the truth. And then he said this, he said, you cannot bear those who are evil. He said, you're not going to put up with them. You, if they're wrong, you're going to call them wrong. If they're apostate, you're going to call them apostate. But then he went into detail. He said, but in all of your right feelings, something has turned in your heart and you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. So he didn't tell them to drop their guard. He didn't tell them to, you know, embrace lies and heresy. He said, go back and do what you used to do. Do the first works again. I remember my daddy getting scolded pretty severely by my mom over something. And he was trying to make it right. I don't know how good a job he was doing, but I know that his final breakthrough came when he walked up to the kitchen door. My mom was washing dishes and he said, can we talk? And she said, no. <laughs> he told me later, he said, well, if I can't talk, I'll sing. And I listened to my dad saying, why don't you love me like you used to do? 
Why do you treat me like a worn out shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? And my mom stopped. I thought, she may hurt him. <laughs> and her shoulders started shaking and she was laughing and crying all at the same time. And they ended up meeting halfway across the kitchen and they worked it out. But uh, um, my dad knew a little bit about how to, how to undo fretting. But what if my problem is fearing? We can become so wrapped up with fear that we can fall into the trap of Matthew 25 where the man, you know, one got five talents or five bags of gold, we'll call it. One got three, one got one. The five increased his, the, the, the three increased his. The one did not increase it. He kept it but he did not increase it. And when he was asked by the master why, this is what he said. I knew you were a hard man, so I was afraid. You see, when we allow God to become a hard man to us, when we misunderstand the heart of God, uh, I can't imagine going through much worse than what Job went through but the Bible makes a very powerful claim. It said in all of this suffering, Job did not charge God foolishly. And so we've got to be careful. We need, hey, listen to me. We need to learn to contend with God. Many of the prophets said, Lord, hear my complaint. They had a complaint. And God is not afraid and God is not resistant. And I'm going to go a little further and say it's not even wrong to bring a complaint to God and say, Lord, I don't, I, I've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I know this can't be true, but this is how I feel. I know this can't be right, but this is the way everything in my life is looking right now. God can handle complaints. God can handle contention. In fact, sometimes laying that out before the Lord clears our mind and it gives God an opportunity to speak to us un, uninhibited. I'm, I'm not saying we can't challenge God as long as we do it in the right way. But if we don't do it in the right way, what can happen is God can become a hard man. And then you never, ever feel like he listens to you or cares for you. And it's a trap. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Spirit of God that God gave us does not make us timid. That means it does not make us cringing before Him. We have freedom and access to come boldly before the throne of grace. But He's given us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, I'll tell you this about the things that God does for you. They need to be guarded. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This idea of living with appreciation and living in faith, it's got to be guarded and you can't do it all on your own. You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. So let me wrap it up with the Christian life lessons and we're going to pray. I'm just going to run through these quickly. Number one, loved ones, we need to know that faith isn't always about receiving the impossible. A lot of times it is. Uh, a lot of times we need faith for an impossible healing or faith for an impossible provision. But usually faith is about trust. In fact, I'd say the overwhelming majority of the time, faith issues are about trust, not miracles. Number two, fear. What causes fear? Fear can be the result of trauma. Maybe a trusted adult abused you sexually when you were a vulnerable child. And that trauma can give you such fear that you never trust anybody. Um, we can give something our best shot and fail. That can cause fear. We're afraid to try it again. Betrayal. Few things can be as long-term damaging as a friend that bails on you or, or, or 
betrayal is the best word, a friend that betrays you. Circumstances can make it look like heaven itself is conspiring against you. And then we have to be careful. Sometimes just unbelief crowds in. We have to be careful. That fear can be caused by those things. But fretting is usually the result of fatigue, of frustration, or a sense of helplessness. You say David overreacted to Nabal. Yeah, I think he did. Number one, David could have just gone in and taken what he wanted. I mean, if, if, if it was a matter of, the, he could have just done that. I don't think that would have been the right thing to do, but he could have. David could have said, in all my life, remember, he's, David's the one that wrote, I have been young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. David could have left and said, God will take care of us. God will take care of us. I remember one of the most beautiful moments of this church board as we were working through an issue with somebody and felt that we had been um, done wrong by an entity, another entity. And as we wrestled with what to do, these are our legal rights. This, but we came down with this. We decided we'd rather be done wrong than do wrong. We'd rather be done wrong than do wrong. And I think that decision opened the door for all kinds of blessings later. David, David could have done that, but when you read about what David had been through in the three or four chapters before that, I'm telling you, he snapped. He had taken all he could take, he had carried all he could carry, and he just snapped. Fretting usually happens when one problem after another just keeps piling up. One prayer after another seems to be unanswered. And, and fretting is, uh, leads you to believe that God's not in control, I'm not in control, but I've got to do something. And we need to be careful. Um, how is fear defeated? Number four, fear is defeated by the training of our inner man. We are not to be transformed to this world, Paul said to the Romans, uh, uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the pastor of Westminster Chapel, uh, where R.T. was pastor for 25 years. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was there, I think, like 40 years. And this is something he said that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Not till you think about it. Till then, it sounds crazy. He said, when a Christian is discouraged, he usually makes the mistake of seeking encouragement but he doesn't need encouragement. He needs doctrine. Now you'd expect a pastor to say that. You just need more preaching. I just need to go 30 minutes longer and all your problems will be solved. You know what Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying? He wasn't saying we shouldn't try to find encouragement. I mean, I've read hundreds of his sermons. He's big on encouragement, but this is what he said. He said, when you need encouragement, the place to find encouragement is by discovering the truth. The Word of God and its promises are what encourages you, not good news. Now, guys, I want to tell you, I, I want to set some of you free because some of you are feeling guilty. Um, I want to tell you, this is not a finger-pointing episode. We, we all fall into that trap of fear or fretting, and it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to get us out of it. Uh, Thomas, poor old Thomas, um, he, he makes one mistake and that identifies him for 2,000 years as doubting Thomas. And we've got to have more confidence in each other. And quite frankly, some of us got to have more confidence in ourselves. Thomas drew a line in the sand that was pretty, pretty gutsy and bold. He missed the, the resurrection appearance of Jesus when the disciples were gathered together. He wasn't there. And when we start not showing up, that always creates problems. And they tried to tell him. They tried to encourage him. And when you're in fear, it's hard for people to encourage you. When you're fretting, it's really hard for people to encourage you. 
And he said, I tell you what, this is after all he's seen. He says, I will not believe. He, he wasn't saying, I don't know, guys. I'm struggling. I'm going through a tough spot. He said, I'm done. I will not believe. If I can't put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And most of us would have taken him out of church membership at that point. We sure wouldn't want him to be an apostle. But you see, Jesus has walked with this man for about three years. And the other two or three times Thomas has mentioned specifically, uh, it's, it's in this context. Jesus is threatened. The apostles are afraid. But Thomas says something like this. Hey, if they're going to kill him, let's go with him and die too. I mean, he loved Jesus. He was, he was arguably the boldest of any of the disciples. But he bottomed out. And, you know, it was, at a, it was, a, it was a bottoming out that you would have pinned on anybody other than Thomas. I see Thomas as the stalwart of strength. But he said, I refuse to believe. And then when Jesus shows up and Thomas is there, Jesus knew what he said. He said, here, Thomas, put your fingers in my nail prints, put your hand in my side, because you've, you've messed with this unbelief long enough. Jesus didn't say, you've hurt my feelings. Jesus didn't say, I knew I couldn't trust you. Jesus said, Thomas, I know something about you that you have forgotten. I know the depth of your faith. And if this is something that's bogging you down here, do what you need to do. He could have said, nobody else asked to do this. But Jesus says, if that's what it takes. And I want to tell you, <coughs> the, res the response of Thomas was not, well, doggy. <laughs> no. Without doing any of that, he just says, my Lord and my God. All Jesus was after for him was to believe. And loved ones, you may be in a place that you say, I don't think I'll ever get out of this. I don't think I'll ever get past this. But I want you to know that Jesus believes in you. Your brothers and sisters believe in you. Your family believes in you. Don't cave in to fretting. Don't cave in to fear. Fretting is defeated by wisdom. Abigail's wisdom kept David from making perhaps the worst decision of his life. Andy Stanley wrote a book called The Best Question Ever. And the best question ever is this. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Here's the last thing. Bondages can be caused by systems of the flesh or by spiritual strongholds. We're going to pray for a deliverance today. We're not going to pray long. It'll take maybe five to ten minutes. And if you need to go, you can go. Uh, I mean, I understand without judgment. But we want to take in pastors that are assigned to pray. If you'll come now, we want to do like we did last week. If the, the ministry teams are coming too, and if you want to give your heart to the Lord uh, or you have other prayer requests, come to them and they will minister to you. They're going to move into position right here in the front. Again, like last week, uh, if you're watching online and you need prayer, just call that number and uh, there'll be somebody that will pray with you on the phone. But um, <clears throat> some bondages need to be crowded out by counsel. You know, I know a lot of folks want to see demons cast out, and, and I want to tell you, we do. Most of the ministry in this church goes on in small groups and small settings, not our celebration on Sunday morning. Um, that You might be surprised of that, uh, about that, but there is a lot that goes on every day of the week, and there are demons that are cast out. But I tell you, for every one demon that is cast out, I think we've got 10 or 12 that are that are, uh, that are crowded out by good counsel, 
by good advice, by good sound treatment. And loved ones, we've got to stop thinking that doctors are a sin. We've got to stop thinking that going to a counselor is a sin. And I know that some of you disagree with me, and I, I don't mind that. If you don't mind being wrong, I don't mind you disagreeing with me. But some of us need some medicine. Just we're, we're, we, we need stabilizing, and we need some medicine. And um, I don't think everybody that takes medicine needs medicine. I don't think medicine is always the answer. And, and please don't say, well, I know so-and-so that took medicine that made it worse. I do too. I, I, know, I know somebody that, never mind. We know that. We know that. But we need to understand that sometimes good counsel can do more to crowd out junk than anything. Some bondages need to be cast down by Scripture. Thoughts need to be taken captive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's done by Scripture. Some bondages need to be cast out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these three approaches are not mutually exclusive. But we want to pray. I realize that this is the beginning of a journey. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling depressed, there's no condemnation. If you are feeling in bondage, there's no condemnation. If you are saying, well, I ought to know better, I ought not to feel this way, there is no condemnation. We're all on a journey.